Welcome to the Four Teachers podcast. Michaela here with you. Last week, James Ramach D and CESA's gifted education advisor, Dr. Rebecca Napier, spent the day in conversation with gifted ed teachers from all around Catholic schools in Adelaide about their experience in this area, their journey, and what they've learned along the way. There's so much great stuff that we've released these as an entire series of podcasts, plus this very special best of bonus episode. Check the show notes for the links to all the episodes. Our first gifted ed teacher, Anna Fox, talks about her first experience in gifted education, which for her started before her teaching career ever did. For Anna, discovering she was gifted happened in her primary school classroom. I distinctly remember um, being in a class and being taught quite complex thinking routines through six hat thinking. And I remember it was on um, tadpoles and the life cycle of a frog. And um, then I kind of noticed that the questions and the answers that I were giving weren't like the other students in the class. How were they different? Um, I think I came up with things that were really outside the box mm-hmm. and things that were just other people in the class hadn't thought of. And I remember the teachers kind of huddling in the corner and looking at me. And that was the first kind of time I realised that the questions and the answers that I were giving weren't quite like what others were giving. I remember that was in year two. And right my a long time ago. Yeah, yep, definitely. And at that point, I think my education was really closely monitored and kind of um, I was tagged as having some sort of gifted um, likeness and but then my education didn't kind of catch up and then I was um, I undertook an uh, educational assessment and it was discovered that I was also dyslexic but with that report also came as a dual diagnosis of being gifted and also having dyslexia. But yeah. what, what do you how do you remember things changing for you at that moment? Well, I remember the dyslexic diagnosis being like a key that unlocked things for me. Mm-hmm. So I would sit in classes and find things exceptionally difficult. But then with that diagnosis, unlocked a whole set of belief systems in me that, oh, it's not me. I just find things a bit challenging. And right. then I think it also changed the perception of my education being that, well, we know that this is an area of challenge, but this is the potential as well that we know that I could achieve. Okay. And so what, what, what happened from there? Like what was the rest of your primary school learning like? How was it different from what the other students experienced? I think it was quite unique being that um, I did have a lot of educational support put in place as well, but it was quite individualised right. because I also, um, through my primary and senior education, um, accessed dual learning support and gifted education. Best of both worlds. Best of both worlds. So, um, And probably why I'm in the role I'm in, which is looking at both spectrums, because I think um, all learners are different and education is really individualised to that individual student. Campbell Burton is another shining example of teachers whose journey in gifted education began in their own schooling years. So it's no surprise that for her, the misconceptions of what a gifted student actually looks like are not few and far between. I was talking to one of my friends who's not a teacher and um, and I said, oh yeah, you know, I've got this girl in my class, she's really gifted. And they said, oh, so she has autism? And I was wow. like, and I was like, no, <laughs> that's not, that's not what that means. Mm. Um, so I think there is a lot of misinformation out there that kids can 
you know, be gifted in different elements in different ways and that, you know, it, it's, it's unfortunate that the media has put forward this thing of people who are gifted um, sort of have to fit into a certain group. Yeah. And, yeah. So how, how diverse is that, is that group then? There are kids who are really gifted um, at maths and at numbers mm-hmm. and, like, that is their thing. And they're in love with that. Um, And then there are kids who have that inquiry mind of asking questions and wanting to get the answers to questions. And then there are kids who are gifted, um, like they love to build things, they love to make things. And then there are kids who are gifted in literacy and they just catch on to everything that you teach so quickly um and then you know there are um I think the misconception that people have is that um there is in the um autism AS community there is that um knowledge that they have like a focus interest Mm -hmm. and they're really like invested in that interest and that that's all they want to talk about and Mm -hmm. and quite often um because I've got some kids who um, have autism spectrum in my class as well. And they are like, they do, they are like gifted in that particular area, but you don't have to have autism to be gifted. Um, and so, I think that's, yeah, yeah. little rabbit trail. There are a lot of misconceptions out there. And I think probably the most famous TV character who has giftedness is Sheldon from the big bang. Yes. Interestingly enough, the writers who wrote his actual script just view him as gifted, but he views himself as gifted with autism. So even in our most famous TV character that people often think of as gifted, Mm. there's confusion even amongst the writers and the cast. What does that look like? Yeah, it's, um, I think a lot of um, students who are gifted have that assertiveness of like, I know what I'm doing. It's cool. Like I can do this by myself. I'm independent. And I think sometimes um, that can sort of be confused yeah. with people who don't have um, a full knowledge of gifted students and of autism spectrum. Our next guest is Viviana Graney, a current teacher at St Aloysius. But for Viv, her standout moment was years earlier when she first walked into a classroom of gifted ed students at another school. I actually went to Loretto and I had a tournament of minds team there and it was I was still very new at it. And I was like, how am I going to, you know, get, manage these girls and facilitate these girls? And they walked into the first meeting and they said, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to write our acceptance speech for when we win. Wow. And I was mm. thinking, hold on a minute, girls, maybe we, we need to do some other plans That is the first. very definition of counting your chickens before they hatch. Isn't <laughs> and it? so they sat down and they did that and, and, and I let them go and I kind of, I really didn't have a lot of idea of what I was going along, but it was a lot of facilitation. Well, the end of that story is that they actually won. Right. <laughs> that, and that acceptance speech mm. came into play and we went to Canberra and managed to, and we competed against other schools and I was Fantastic. like, okay, maybe I need to have a little bit more trust in these students yeah. who actually have a really strong sense of, well, we can be successful because um, I was always thinking, oh, we'll, we'll go into this and um, – We'll be, I'll be grateful if we make it into the top 10 or, yeah. or whatever. Where I had that deficit model, but they definitely had that positivity that I then discovered was um, a good trait to have. Mm-hmm. 
Next, we're going to hear from two teachers, Emma and Patrick, who both prove that sometimes even teachers struggle to understand how to teach gifted students. They discuss if given the chance to go back and give yourself one piece of advice at the beginning of their gifted education careers, what would it be? I think that I would just grab myself and shake <laughs> shake me um, just to say, actually, that's not what it's about. Um, remember that this is about developing the whole student. Um, is about caring, essentially. Um, in uh, my first um, occasion as a contract teacher, um, just giving students more work rather than more challenging work and seeing um, academic success as the epitome of what we are meant to help them achieve. Um, and so I think my initial response to myself, um, which would be a very strange conversation to visualise, but um, <laughs> I think it would go along the lines of uh, remember why you got into education. Um, remember that this is a field that actually rewards altruism and caring rather than um, being market driven in any way. I still remember going back to very early on when I came across my first, um, there were two boys, gifted students, and I still remember um, reading a story and he'd written, he'd written 10 pages and it was extraordinary. And I just thought, well, maybe he could just read, write some more. He could write another story. Um, and now I look back and I think, well, that probably wasn't <laughs> the right thing for him. So it's sort of looking at, like Patrick said, it's not more. It's not about that, you know, that study, that going home, and the more you can do, the better you're going to get at it. Because gifted children um, learn things very quickly. So they don't need that practice. They don't need that that time to go over and over and over work to grasp it because they get it really quickly and then they move on. So I suppose it's, it's telling myself that I need to know my students. I need to develop a relationship with them. They need to trust me. They need to know that I care and they need to be, um, you know, understanding that I'll listen to them and I'm about, um, I want to develop them as a whole person and tell me what direction you want to go in. So it's, it's student driven um, and I'll be, I'll be there to support you as best as I can. Next up, Matthew Wallace. Over his career in gifted education, Matthew talked about the various tournaments and excursions the students were able to thrive and succeed in. But it was actually a very different atmosphere in the story that stood out the most to him. It was a STEM competition and the boys went off as a team um, and they just had technical problem after technical problem after technical problem and really didn't achieve the goal of the activity of the day. But the teamwork and trying to solve the problem and engaging with each other, there were five or six and there were year 10 students at the time. And they just were so down on themselves but so supportive of each other. We did our best. There was an issue. We tried to solve it and you did really well. And so they were really affirming of each other. Mm. And that, that was like coming back on the bus from that activity. That was like, well, don't worry about it, guys. Things happen. That's what happens in the real world and... You know, you're allowed to be disappointed, but we got to move on. Yeah. And then when they had the awards presentation, there was a, like a trade display and they'd set up what they'd done and they've given a talk on how they've gone about building the drone and what, what they wanted to achieve and what their problems were. They ended up winning the competition because they were able to really explain each problem that happened, how they were challenged by it, what they tried to do, 
and how they came together as a team right. and how they didn't fight about things. Oh, no, it's all gone wrong. And then have a meltdown and not achieve anything at all. And right. so they were, that was like, wow, this is what it's all about. You're getting some kids together, even though they know they haven't done their best on the competition day, they win the overall competition because of that level of engagement and their passion about what they wanted to do mm. and give the best talk they can in front of the judges. That, that was something that was... Um, I think that was really good because it was more than just, oh, we're flying drones and taking photos and solving an uh, engineering problem. We're actually cooperating. Next up is Kirsten Maycock, who highlights another major misconception for gifted students. The belief that just because they're gifted, that work, school and life in general is all around a breeze. I was talking with my year eight homeroom class and they were saying that they sometimes felt pressure and that of being a high achiever and um, that they've got to get involved in everything and that often brought with us some pressure. So I think being a bit aware of yeah. what they're all balancing is is important too. So Kristen, yeah. I'm just in terms of that pressure, do you get a sense that they're pressuring themselves into, you know, having their fingers in all these pies or is that coming from teachers, parents? What's your sense? I think all, when we talked about it, it was all, some of it was their own pressure that they felt that once they'd achieved good results, you know, a couple of them were saying, I feel like I've always got to do that. And if I don't, it's, I'm letting myself down, I'm letting my parents mm. down. Um, and they also thought that the school system applied a bit of pressure that way. Mm. Not so coming from the inside and the outside, yeah. which makes for quite a lot of pressure. So that yeah. is something we do need to be very aware of. And that, that actually made me think about it deeply when they were saying as well, even the awarding of prizes gave them a sense of pressure too, that once they'd received a prize, they had a benchmark. What is it about you that makes you such a great gifted education teacher? It's an odd question to answer, but for Dr. Michael Boots, who as a deputy principal has a unique role to play in gifted education inside the classroom, it was the perfect one to ask. I'm going to say advocacy. In, in my role, I, I feel like I'm there for the kids primarily um, and I advocate for them in terms of being very open to what their needs are. And it's quite interesting when I do classroom observations, which I'm a big fan of, of and giving feedback to teachers, um, they often are shocked that I actually don't actually look at them, talk to them, or even acknowledge the teacher is present in the room. All I go do is talk to three or four kids and ask, what are you learning? Mm. How are you learning? Why are you learning this? And I, I love that last question. And it always shocks teachers because sometimes they'll stop the entire class and I go, I'm not here for you. We're here for our students and I want to know what they're learning, why they're learning and how they're learning. Our last moment from the Gifted Education series is with Renee Simanis, whose passion for innovating gifted education has developed from a shot in the dark to a roller coaster of new ideas and wild projects. We put this big mind map on the board of what all our interest areas are and we pitched it to the parents. We don't have a plan for this yet, but, you know, this is what we think it's going to look like and we've let the kids drive it. You know, they were interested in science and STEM and plasma and 
how roller coasters work. And that's we, a great one. We did blind Skittle tasting, you know, that, that concept between what the colour of the Skittle is versus the actual taste. And we graphed it and did data. Um, and unanimously, the whole group are very interested in escape rooms. So now we're looking at how to construct escape rooms. We'll take the kids on excursion to an escape room in the city, run through them ourselves, and then um, they're going to build their own model, come up with their own riddles and clues and whatnot, and we're actually going to build an escape room within the school for our um, festival day, Gleason Day, where other students within the school and teachers can try the escape room as well. That's just too cool. Yeah, yeah, I think (laughs) it is too. For all the full conversations in this Gifted Education Teachers series, you can find the links in the show notes in this episode. The Four Teachers podcast is produced by James Meston and me, Michaela Howard-Jones, for ArchD Radio and Podcasting. Be sure to check out the other shows on this channel for great content about teachers, by teachers, for teachers.